0: Okay, uh, so l- ha- hello everybody. Uh, welcome to the next in the series of serious uh, seminar talks for uh, spring semester 2017. So today we have again somebody from local. Uh, we have Yong-vi, uh, Yongvi Kwan from computer science department. Uh, he's a PhD student here in computer science department uh, working with Dang Yong Zhu and Jiang Yu Zhang. And uh, he typically works on system security. In particular, he's interested in looking, using static analysis and tools uh, which are coming from the software security, using that to uh, to uh, find flaws and uh, so overcoming the issues that we see typically in the system security. Today he's going to talk about uh, A2C, their a new project which next week is going to appear at NDSS, one of the top tier conferences in security. And he uh, agreed to give a talk about that before moving on to there. So. Uh,
1: Thank you. <clears throat> oh, thank you, and uh, good afternoon. Uh, my name is Yongin Kwon, and today I'm going to present uh, A to C, uh, disrupting exploit executions via input perturbation. This is a joint work with uh, Purdue University and University of Georgia. So this winter we has quite a nice winter, but in the securities, the weather is quite bad. We have so many vulnerabilities every day coming up, so essentially we are living in a world of vulnerabilities. Just to name a few, Buff Overflow, Integer Overflow, ROP, Use After Free, spraying, type confusion. There are so many attacks and so different ways to break the systems. But we shouldn't be that depressed, because we have also good guys. There are so many protections, too. We have so many antivirus systems, anti malware softwares. And also from uh, research communities, we have bound checker, CFI, DFI, and a lot of shellcode detection techniques, and ASL. But here, the problem is whether all these protections, now we are safe to use our computers. Uh, Definitely, we will know the answer is not great. So we try to ask the question why, why all these were not enough. So we analyze all these existing techniques. We come up with uh, the answers to this question. So first, we find out that a lot of great protections they have so many overheads. So we cannot just simply apply these protections. And the second reason is there are attack uh, defenses that is specific to attack surfaces. So then we always know that attackers always find a way to break and avoid circumvent these uh, attack specific defenses. And later, we also find that there are simply two large attack surfaces. Even though we prevent all the known attacks, we see that attackers always come up with a new idea to attack the system. So we say preventing known method may not last long. So naturally, these limitations of the existing systems lead us to have a new uh, goal for our solution. So first, we want to have low overhead so that it can be practical. And the second one, I- one is we need to have a general protection. So we should not rely on any specific attack method to come up with the protection. So that uh, with our system, we can potentially prevent <coughs> a new attack method, which we don't even know now. And also, we want to be complementary, because even though we are doing really hard, uh, w- one simple system cannot prevent everything. So we want to be prevent the system with other great protection. So the compatibility is our uh, major goal. So we were thinking how we can come up with a solution with these uh, very nice goals, and we started from analyzing a bunch of attacks in detail. And we find that in most attacks, attackers need to inject malicious payload, which they want to execute some of the sequence of operation. And we find uh, by analyzing a lot of exploits, they are, are very fragile. Let me show you an example. Here we have an attacker and a program. And we find that most time, they send first malicious input to trigger some vulnerability to break the software and then once they trigger that exploit i mean trigger that vulnerability they later send a payload which is a, a set of operation they want to execute for example they want to open a network like a port so that they can connect them later execute some malicious ex- uh, commands then we see uh, analyze this payload. Here is an example of the payload. On the left side is the hex code of this payload. On the right side, it is an a, a instruction representation of this hex code. Essentially, these like, a hex code numbers, when you put into the computer, the CPU will see this instruction and do uh, this command execution. So, uh, as we told that this is, these payloads are so fragile, so even very little computation on this one, any mutation on this one, will break the semantics of this payload very uh, completely. So here we apply XOR with uh, AA. Then this is the uh, result. Here you see like the first number, 31, uh, becomes uh, 9B. And all the following numbers are changed. Uh, more importantly, you see the, on the right side, when the CPU sees uh, this changed payload, uh, it, will show, it will see totally different instructions. So you see, this payload is totally broken, uh, and attackers cannot achieve their goals what they intended first. So we built a system on top of this observation. Here is the high level idea of our system. The program execution first starts with the inputs, and whenever we get inputs, we encode, so that we get the encoded input. And uh, when the program uh, and, and then the program will feed this encoded input. And when an attacker wants to uh, execute their exploit, the payload is already encoded as we just saw in the previous pay, uh, slide, so the attack will fail. But this you may have some uh, question that what if they want to actually read the input and process something. So when the program uh, executes a benign request, then we actually decode the inputs for that request, and then the program uh, behaves correctly. So because I just show you uh, how we break the exploit, now I want to explain uh, how we guarantee the benign execution is uh, correct. So let me start with a simple input. Uh, it's a HTTP request with the post and the path of this request is index.php and uh, there is a HTTP version specified this request. And before it gets uh, read by uh, the program reverse encoding in input. So here we see I just do a simple minus. You, uh, you see that Like a P becomes O because P minus 1 in ASCII code is O. And all the following inputs are we just apply all the minus one operation on each byte. And the web server gets this input. And of course, they want to parse and process input to generate outputs. Then uh, we will do decoding uh, for this web server. So when it wants to do some operations on it, we first take the encoded input. And when it wants to understand what's the command of this HTTP request, then they want to read the first four byte of the request. Then we just take the full byte and decode and give it back to the web server. So the web server can operate correctly. And it does for path, also for the version of the HTTP uh, protocol. Now it gets uh, all the correct inputs and produce correct outputs even though we encode uh, these inputs. So maybe naturally you may have some question because we definitely decode some inputs here and uh, the question may be uh, why the payloads are not decoded even though some inputs are decoded for the P9 execution. So here is our quest, I mean, answer. So the first thing is we actually uh decode based on the program's intention means that we respect the program's original intention of how they use the data so we statically analyze the program and decode when the inputs are used by the program as the intended data so you may think of uh, there is no program i mean it's quite strong but there's not much program that takes the input from the outside and try to cast this input as an instruction of the CPU and just execute. That sounds like a a backdoor. So that also echoes our second point. Uh, These malicious payloads are actually not supposed to be executed by the original program. So what we do is we do not put decoding logics for this unintended execution, but we do decode for intended uh, program execution. So all these two points actually came from an assumption that inputs should be data, not the code. So A to C, our system, allows inputs to be accessed accessed as uh, intended types of data. But it will break the code execution, uh, which is unintended types of data uh, when it gets injected and exploited. So let me explain uh, our system, uh, Its overview. So we first get the original program, and then we do static uh, program analysis. The program analysis part consists of two parts. One is constraint solving and a static analysis. This one is quite complex. We will get into the detail very soon. So that's why we use uh, constraint server, which is G3 from Microsoft. And during the stating analysis, we use LLVM. And then after this program analysis part, we get the instrumented program has encoding and decoding functions. And then we also need to have the runtime support to execute these encoding and decoding uh, functions. So let's start uh, from uh, the analy- uh, constraint solving part of the program analysis. Uh, we first need to answer when to decode and encode. Maybe the first question is a little bit simple. When to encode is fairly simple. We just say encode any incoming untrusted sources at library level. For example, if a program receives some untrusted buffer from outside from network, then we just encode everything. If the program reads some untrusted files, we also encode everything. But the problem is when to decode. Intuitively, we can say uh, we can decode when the encoded values are used. But we soon encounter uh, this question. Programs take the input and process and then uh, do some computation and then process outputs. Then if the program do some computation on these values, then it generates new values. Do we need to encode these values again or not? So this is actually a fairly hard question to answer. So to answer this question, we first analyze the program and what they are really doing. Here is a small example that a program takes input, do some computation, and then generate outputs. Usually, programs take input. Sometimes it copies here and there around uh, because it need to uh, seg- fragment uh, inputs for different purpose. And sometimes, program convert some of the uh, characters to into another type of characters. For example, some uh, programs take an, uh, ASCII code and convert it to the Unicode or vice versa. And uh, the other types of uh, operations, like read and compare, essentially this one is a common operation in the parsing. Uh, so you first read the input and then have a predicate, like if statement, and then do something depending on the input. And also, some a lot of programs do like a cast the inputs and do a lot of computation. For example, encryption, uh, like mathematical programs. But in our context, because we are assuming that inputs could be malicious, we need to think about if we decode in these kind of operation whether this is safe. Definitely the first one, copy operation, is not safe because copy doesn't change anything. So if we decode uh, operation at copy operations, then essentially we are helping the attackers. We just get the input encoded and decode at the right time. But the conversion is a little bit difficult to answer because there are quite simple conversions, but also there are quite complex conversions. Actually, there is a uh, papers. Like uh, A lot of people think, thought that uh, Unicode can break a lot of share code. Because when you think about the Unicode, Unicode always, not always, but for English letters, you need to always have zeros in every other bytes. People think that it will break a lot of share code, but there is also a lot of papers on it saying that <clears throat> with these kind of restrictions on uh, numbers, you can still generate useful share code. So this one is quite difficult to answer. So let's move on. And there is a read and parse, a read and compare, which is parse. This one is fairly simple to say because when they compare, actually they made a small copy of big chunk of the buffer. And then they compare. And then after comp- comparison, soon they dispose the data. So we are saying this is safe to decode. So we have quick answer here. And also the computation. This is also a similar case of the conversion. There are simple computations that we may see it as a copy, or there are very complex computations which is hard to know whether it's safe to decode or not. So essentially, now we focus on these two complex cases, and we conclude that answer this question is essentially we answer the question of can attacker control the result after computation. For example, if the attacker send A, and after the computation they get X, and if attackers send B, and after the computation they get Y, that means that if attacker knows if A will get uh, result of X, if B get Y, then he will prepare their share code beforehand so that uh, even after the computation, their share code will get uh, the right format. So, in this case, we think that this computation is not safe to decode because, as you can see, after the computation, attackers still have control over the data. But, in this case, if attacker sends A and it gets one, if attacker sends B, it also gets one. No matter you send, you get always one. In this case, pretty much we, are, we can say this is safe because even though attacker knows the operation, attacker may not leverage this one to construct because all attacker can have is the single number one. So the problem is, even though these are there were two uh, examples, we don't know uh, given a computation, we don't know which one is the case. So we're not sure, so then we need to ask somebody. So we try to ask the constraint server uh, to answer this question. Constraint server is essentially uh, a system you give a lot of conditions and ask them whether this condition satisfied or not. Then they will do a bunch of computation and give, give you an answer. So here is a small program example that we want to know uh, whether. This computation is controllable or not. So you see uh, M7 and IMG and MPR. Uh, A- IMG and NPR are developers that attacker can control, and M7 is the result of the computation. Computation is fairly simple. Uh, it just uh, IMG minus MPR and assign the result to the M7. Right. And uh, One important thing is you need to uh, notice that here uh, M7 is unsigned int, which is 4 byte in most operating systems. And IMG and MPR are unsigned short, which is 2 byte. So let's keep that in mind and see what happens. So to ask the constraint solver, we actually need to change the program uh, language to the language that constraint solver can understand. So now we want to uh, model this line 6, the computation, to the constraint-solver language. This is an example of constraint-solver language. The first, uh, we model the computation. It's fairly simple. It's the same uh, operations. It just do does uh, IMG minus NPR equals uh, M7. And then we also give the, the range of the value. Uh, remember that we have. IMG and NPR are unsigned short, so we give the range of unsigned short, which is 0 to uh, 65535. And then finally, we uh, give the uh, condition that whether the result M7 can be a payload. Here, the payload is an array of giant uh, data which we collected from uh, a lot of different websites, which is essentially representing a share code, raw binary code, any possible uh, random numbers. We collect this data from all kinds of different sources and made a 1.4 gigabyte a large payload pool. and we compare uh, this data, concrete data uh, with this condition. And then we throw this operation to the constraint server, and wait for the answers, and Constraint Server constraints say yes or no. Then we take this answer to answer the question. So essentially, we use uh, Microsoft G3 server, and we get the payload from uh, Internet like exploit database, meta exploit, share storm org, and a lot of raw gadget tools on, we run on uh, existing uh, binaries. And also we generate a lot of random numbers using random generator. and also we decompile uh, all uh, existing Linux binaries on my computer and then put into the, uh, the giant uh, payload pool. So we ask the constraint server and if the, these are kind of answers that we can get from the constraint server, the first one is SAT set, means that it's satisfiable. That means given that condition, an attacker can construct the payload through this computation. So in this case, obviously attackers have control. And the timeout means that we run constraint servers and the constraint server tried to compute something, but it, it took too much, too long time, and then uh, we didn't get the uh, answer in uh, like a few minutes. So then it we say it's a timeout, uh, means that we actually don't know. So we take the conservative position, saying that maybe attacker can control. Unknown also means that constraint server think that the computation is too complex, and some of the uh, like a computation is not modeled in the constraint server. So they say, I cannot solve this problem. So we also take the conservative a position and say attacker may control because they don't know. But there are some cases that say that for sure given that your payload pool we cannot, attackers cannot generate meaningful fa- payload after this computation. So then in this case they return unset. then we say okay this is the safe computation after this computation the payload is totally broken. So now we can come back this
0: So my question is, but then there can be some legitimate program where it will fail, right? Uh You may not be able to, there will be a legitimate program and uh, then when you get them, basically you won't be able to make them working because you make the attacker's payload fail, Right. Right. So there is also some false negative or I don't know how you call it that there are some legitimate code which are not attacker code and they won't succeed.
1: Uh, Actually the answer is uh, like we guarantee the benign executions correctness Mm. of the benign executions, so there's no breaking no, but there is a
0: difference between benign and legitimate. right? Benign doesn't, legitimate means everything which is possible. Even attackers instructions are one which are possible in your system, right? He just, but they are ma- malicious. But they are still correct instructions, oh. right? Or, I mean, how you make sure, th- what's not clear to me is how you make sure that, uh, that some, in, uh, are, are you sure that the, there are some correct programs which will not fail?
1: In D3? So, this is actually compu- computing decoding frontier. Is we want to know which computation is fairly complex enough so that attacker cannot gain the control over this one. But uh, guaranteeing uh, correct execution is more about how we can completely find, a, like, a, because we mm-hmm. blindly encode all the inputs, we need to find all the cases uh, that input is used. So, that one is done in the stating analysis, which we covered a little bit later. Uh, This one is just... uh, Right, the the first problem is actually, uh, without this decoding frontier, what we can do is, we just encode everything and decode everything. But that incurs a lot of overhead. So, what we want to see was, uh, because the inputs are going through some computation, and then soon, it will be difficult to exploit then we are saying that we may not need to decode everywhere. We may just cut here and forget about all this complex computation to save the overhead and make it practical. Mm. (laughs) So now we can come back to this uh, question and can answer uh, which one is safe, which one is not safe. So indeed, we find that some of the conversions are actually exploitable. If they know how they convert uh, input to another, imp- another uh, values, they can prepare the payload in a very smart way so that after the com- conversion, it still has malicious payload. And also some simple computation, for example, like plus one, multiply by two. These are, if a attacker knows that computation beforehand, they also can prepare this payload so that it can survive after the computation. But we also find certain uh, complex computations. After the computation, they, don't, uh, they have no access to generate some meaningful things. So here we have three uh, exploitable, two uh, fairly safe. So then we define it as a decoding frontier. Decoding Frontier is uh, essentially a computation that is fairly complex enough so that after this computation, uh, attackers lost their control. So we uh, find this Decoding Frontier using a constraint solver. And before this Decoding Frontier, we define the program space before this de- Decoding Frontier as unexploitable space, meaning that in this space, still attacker has much of control. And after this decoding frontier, we say uh, program space, data in this space, is fairly safe. So it's fine to decode and let it go. So now, uh, using all the answers from a constraint server, we try to uh, enforce our uh, encoding and decoding scheme using static analysis. So we use LLVM. And the first question here is how we come up with uh, decoding and encoding sets. Uh, Essentially means uh, the places we want to decode, the places we want to encode. So as we covered previously, encoding set is a little bit simple. So we just encode every incoming untrusted sources at the library calls, for example, like receive from networks, read from untrusted files. And the decoding set here, we have a little bit clear answer that we decode whenever encoded values are used so that it will not break any uh, lazy made functionality. And here we have one more uh, further optimization is that we can decode inputs permanently at the decoding frontier. So after the decoding frontier, the execution is exactly the same as the original program. We don't interfere any execution beyond the decoding frontier. So we use uh, context, uh, flow, and field-sensitive static analysis, which is quite very complex, to finding these decoding and encoding sets. So this guarantees uh, benign execution and legitimate inputs will be processed correctly without causing any crashes. So let me explain how we instrument. We have uh, this little program. It first receives some input from untrusted network. So uh, there is an untrusted buffer will hold uh, network data. And later we have a predicate that compare a contents of the buffer with the constant. and later we also have mem compare function with this buffer. So first, right after it gets our data from the network, we just encode the buffer and the second one, uh, when it compared which is used by the program we decode this exact buffer and then the computation with this constant uh, will be succeed and also uh, we do decoding at mem copy so this will uh, make the lesson made execution uh, correctly But we find a pro- problem of just enforcing that thing. Here is another example. We have one more statement within the predicate, which is memcopy. And what it does is put the constant into the untrusted buffer. So now we see uh, what happens in here if we enforce our uh, instrumentation. Here at uh, the last line, the memcompare, mem-compare uh, we can see that this untrusted buffer actually comes from this receive from the network, or this constant. So then let's think about what happened. So if we just decode untrusted buffer, like, blindly, then it will break the functionality when it has the constant, uh, uh, constant string. Because constant string is not encoded, if we decode it, then it will have some weird values, and then uh, the comparison will result uh, different outcomes. But if we not decode this untrusted buffer, then it will break the value, uh, it will break the program when the value is from uh, receive. So here, our answer is we also encode the constant. So then now we can see that uh, decoding blindly untrusted buffer will not break any in any context. So this is how we uh, we'll change the our instrumentation. So we encode the constant in the mem copy. So in any context, untrusted developer is always encoded. So now we come back to these basic questions: that uh, how we come up, how we know all the encoding sets, all the decoding sets. So now we have more uh, precise answers. We encode in incoming all untrusted uh, incoming sources, and library calls. And we also encode uh, all the constants that can be written to any of already encoded buffers. And the decoding is the same answer we decode when the encoded (coughs) values are used. And uh, one more optimization is we can decode permanently at the decoding frontier. So now I will uh, show a little example of how we prevent ROP attacks. Essentially, ROP attacks uh, is you corrupt the stacks and you corrupt the return address of the, in the stack so that after uh, it's exploited, then your control flow uh, will go uh, somewhere that attacker wants to uh, go. So here we have a local variable. Is, uh, the size is 255, and there is a loop, and within the loop, there is a function that returns a string. And this string, is, uh, which is TMP, can be controlled by the attacker. And as you can see, right next line, we have a predicate, and it's used, uh, it's compares with the constant, so that uh, to guarantee the correct execution, we decode here and the next line is a uh, like strcat means that uh, concatenation of the string uh, because this one is copy operation we do not decode the tmp and now we see what happens uh, when it ex- uh, when uh, it is exploited here is the rob gadget that is injected into the system uh, essentially rob gadget is uh, an address that points to somewhere in your program that, has, that holds some meaningful instruction and as well as the return uh, instruction. So we can see here the first gadget points to a move instruction and also return instruction is just followed. And there is another rough gadget, another move instruction and also return. So simply we also do XOR operation on this guy and then we get this. As you can see, the addresses is totally different, and it doesn't even points to valid addresses. So as soon as this one is exploited and try to execute this rop gadget, it will just jump to somewhere random addresses and will fail, uh, will crash the program. So now I will show uh, some of the evaluation wizard and. Uh, uh, this is the performance graph of uh, our uh, A to C, and we evaluate our first eighteen vulnerable applications, and we use fairly uh, large uh, inputs to test. And as you can see here, uh, we have around like six point six percent of the overhead, and some of the program we have a little bit more overhead, close to ten uh, percent, which is like Apache or some XML parsers. Uh, these applications that. Has a lot of intense operation on inputs. We because we decode more, uh, it has a little bit more overhead. And this is the performance evaluation from the spec 2006. Uh, we get a little bit worse. We has around uh, we have around like eight uh, percent of the overhead. And uh, there's one program which is like over 14 is a per bench. So we found found that uh, if the program actually used input all over its execution then it actually uh, disrupt much more like a uh, computation during the whole execution and we also see some of the programs like mcf or uh, live quantum these are uh, very fast because and then we analyze why and we saw that uh, these programs first they read the input and they transform all of them into some primitive values and then later they do hold a lot of computation without accessing uh, original inputs at all. So essentially, they have very like a thin layer of processing inputs and converting inputs, so that attacker cannot exploit uh, right uh, like a very few steps of the execution. And then a uh, whole other executions are uh, like just pure computation after the input processing. And we also uh, evaluate effectiveness of of our tool. So we uh, tested 23 different exploits on 18 programs. And we prepare uh, 100 payloads, 50 is a shellcode, 50 is our uh, rough gadget for each program. And you run and see what happens. And uh, we just apply XOR with uh, AA on these malicious payload. And we found that for the share code, which uh, is a sequence of the hex code uh, representing these uh, x86 instructions, for these kind of payloads, uh, we see that after our computation, after our mutation, uh, only three or four instruction can be executed. But something very important to say is that even though they can execute three or four instructions, these are very different from uh, what they are like, uh, What the attacker really wants to, in, uh, wants to execute. Uh, as we saw in the first few slides, we saw that the first one was XOR, EAX, EAX. That's what the attacker wants to execute. But after the mutation, we see like F-weight about uh, the floating-point computation, which attacker has no idea what uh, they want to do. So, and also, we evaluate a bunch of rough gadgets, and we, saw, we see uh, only 0.1 average number of rough gadgets are executed. And uh, this is the, re- oh, sure, Can you- sure. So uh, in this, uh, you are doing XOR with zero uh, with a x. Mm-hmm. Is that is there any particular reason? Because uh, if you are fixing that value, then uh, attacker knows that this is a zero value you are re- using, so, and they can exploit that. Sure, sure. Uh, this w- I just pick uh, x uh, like uh, a a just for the uh, right for the sake of presentation. Actually, we are having a lot of different like. Uh, like uh, keys, and uh, essentially we are using like one-time pad encoding. So we prepare bunch of bunch of uh, one-time pad uh, like uh, encoding keys before the execution, and then during the runtime, actually we pick uh, randomly one of them. So right, actually we will also cover at uh, later like uh, slides as uh, right. That was actually right, quite a big problem. Right, big critical question for this paper for a long time. So here is the evaluation on our Decoding Frontier computation. Uh, right, we log all the uh, Decoding Frontier computation uh, from the constraint solvers, and then we found that uh, among these, all the tested computations uh, using constraint solver, Uh, 71% that uh, we question were indeed a decoding frontier, means that in the programs actually uh, we have more complex computations so that we can forget about the security after this computation. And only 29% is controllable, so that means that we need to uh, track the inputs further at that point to see real decoding frontier. So this echoes our assumptions that uh, exploit space is quite small. So it means that inputs are quickly parsed and do not usually propagate deeply into a program. So because exploit space is not huge, uh, our like performance is uh, quite not bad, quite good. We achieve quite good overhead. So uh, here is some discussions on our limitation. So we can also think think about uh, attacks in post-exploit spaces, even though I argue a lot about uh, after decoding frontier is safe, we are fine. But because we are using uh, the uh, payload pools that we collected here and there, and also uh, right because we are using this uh, large pool of payload we collected, if an attacker come up with a very smart way, to, uh, right, very different from what we have seen, how they, uh, the way of constructing the share code. Then maybe our uh, constraints over computation is incorrect. And also, it is uh, we when we are testing, uh, we are testing uh, of uh, sixteen bytes because uh, we think that is fairly uh, small uh, size of the share code. But if an attacker can construct very powerful uh, attacks, less than 16 bytes, we may be in trouble. And the other one is just the question uh, asked, uh, is about the memory disclosure. So let's say if an attacker can access all my memory data, and they can even know what I'm doing, they can even know what kind of encoding key what I have used. For example, uh, by leaking the previous buffer encoded, several times maybe you know what i'm uh, you you can infer what, I, what kind of key that i have used to encode the buffer because attacker knows uh, what data they sent it and then attacker also can now see how it is dec- encoded so the thing is because we are using a different dictionary different encoding key every time we get a new input knowing the previous encoding key does not help you to attack uh, next time, because you don't know what what kind of key we, we we're gonna pick. So we have a lot of a lot of related works. It has a uh, bunch of bunch of CFI, these several years, and also malicious payload detections, a lot of address randomization, and a lot of bounds checking. And these are all great tools. Uh, Uh, The key point of our solution is we are uh, trying to attack a different perspective. For example, CFI try to focus on the control flow. They need to enforce, they want to enforce whether the program goes the right way. And malware payload detection, they use machine learnings and try to see the patterns. And randomization, they need to uh, disrupt these address spaces, so that attacker, if attacker has some strong assumption on the layout, then Uh, they cannot, uh, with this address randomization, they cannot uh, prepare the payload. Uh, We are essentially uh, trying to attack on the different perspective, which is uh, from the data. So what we are doing is we encode all the inputs and then try to uh, decode at when the program is legitimately want to use these guys, and then we decode. But we think that most of attacks happens they break the assumption, uh, break the uh, intention of the original program, so uh, we are uh, attacking that points. So here is the uh, conclusion of uh, our talk. Is uh, we provide uh, we present uh, A to C, which is uh, uh, which provides a general protection against a wide spectrum of payload injection attacks. Even maybe we can pre- prevent some unknown attack surfaces. And the way we do is we encode all inputs from uh, untrusted sources, and then uh, we decode right before when they are used uh, so that uh, we can uh, correctly uh, guarantee the executions. But we break a malicious payload because it uh, does not go where the program uh, intended to use. And uh, we also uh, prevent payload injection with a uh, fairly low overhead around seven uh, percent. Thanks for uh, the listening, and uh, this is the right end of the talk. And if you have any questions, welcome. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Question. Okay. So let me start then, uh, continuing from what he asked, and you actually, that's what I was alluding to. So you assume that they are, you keep on changing keys, but uh, you know for the one-time pad, the key challenge is that the more you use it, you should not reuse the key. So uh, there are two aspects. What if somebody decides to reverse engineer your program? Mm-hmm. Then they will be able to know what is the next key that you're going to use. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's say you, uh, you assume that adversary has access to the copy of the program. And right. then you can reverse engineer, uh, possibly, to find out what, what is the next key that's getting used. Mm-hmm. okay. And the second thing is, even in that, let's say if that's not allowed to the adversary, mm-hmm. you are going to, there is only this much key that you can store. After, let's say, using uh, running this program for 1 million times, then you are exhausted the key space that is available to you, and you're going mm-hmm. to use back again the key that is used for the first time. That's true. So. Mm-hmm. Any thoughts on both any of these
1: questions? Uh, right. Uh, I would say, like, in practice, it's difficult to actually predict like, a random generator, how they like, uh, give the random, I mean, how, how the random generator returns numbers. Maybe, uh, right, maybe we can use better random generators so that it will make the like, uh, guessing the next input different, I mean, difficult. And the other one is because we have, I mean, ideally we can have the infinite number of like one-time pad, but of course in practice it's impossible. So we need to store uh, some like a, a concrete number of things. So maybe I think it's a good way to enhance the security of in this case is maybe we can like restart the program or right time to time so that. Right, after a few, like a few hours, maybe, right, you can refresh your the, uh, right, one-time pad so that uh, let's say an attacker like, gets some idea in like, uh, this morning and they have analyzed and they come up with a nice idea and try to attack on the afternoon, and then now they see a whole different system. I think that one can be uh, right, easily done. es tan